Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the April 14th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Our sponsor for Local Matters is the Security Federal Bank. They have 17 locations between Columbia, South Carolina and Augusta, metro area, and they would love to serve you even if you are not a current bank customer. As a community development financial institution, that means that they exist to serve the needs of people that traditionally banks might not want to uh, serve. Uh, so if you are someone who feels like your credit's not good enough, uh, you feel like you need help in improving your credit, Security Federal exists to do that. Also, Security Federal exists to assist our small businesses, self-employed individuals, uh, churches, nonprofit organizations, and others. See if you're eligible for the Federal Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, they offer services to our community uh, so that they can better serve you. And there is no better way to support local matters other than going to see my friends at Security Federal. Um, I also want to invite you to listen to last week's show. If you did not get a chance to hear all things COVID with Dr. Stephen Goggins, he is the director of the East Central Georgia Health District. And he did a wonderful job last week explaining public health and where we are in our fight against COVID-19. Uh, we talked extensively about the vaccination process. And one of the things that I did not admit to him as we were talking or admit to you as my listeners is that at the time we had that conversation, I had not been vaccinated myself. Uh, I counted myself among those who are officially vaccine hesitant. And that show uh, combined with my desire to, to go visit someone, someone very dear to me has been ill. And I knew that if I wanted to uh, spend time around a sick person or other households, that it would be best for me to indeed get the vaccine. So after we finished our show with Dr. Goggins, I actually followed his instructions to go to the Department of Public Health's website, dph.ga.gov. I went in, put in the information. They do ask you a number of questions, but the questions are geared toward ensuring that it is indeed appropriate for you to take the vaccine. So I went in, filled out all the questions, listed my health insurance information and, and those sorts of things and was able to make an appointment right there online. I also found out that there is a phone number to call if you have a problem getting through the online system or um, you just have questions or you aren't in a position where you can use a computer. You can just call uh, the Department of Public Health and they will schedule a vaccine appointment. You can go through the online process um, yourself and try to do it yourself, or you can just call them. That phone number is uh, 888-457-0186. That is the Health Department Vaccine Scheduling Resource Line. Again, 888 Four five seven zero one eight six. There's someone there to answer the phone for you Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So for those who work during the day, 
and you're busy during the day, um, you can call up until 8 p.m. And it's also available on Saturdays and Sundays between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. So um, the Georgia uh, Health Department really does want to help all of us get vaccinated. And I went back and checked some statistics, uh, which show that we really have some work to do to get Georgians vaccinated. The uh, percentage of folks vaccinated in the state of Georgia as of April 12th uh, was only 15%. And guess what, folks? That means that Georgia had the lowest population, uh, a lowest percentage of its population fully vaccinated of any state in the country. That's it. We're listed at number 51, and that's 51 because even the Washington, D.C. area, the District of Columbia, is above us in terms of vaccination rate. So Georgia is behind. There are only 1.6 million Georgians who have been fully vaccinated, and that represents only 15 percent of our population. Um, I actually got my vaccination at the 4th Street location that Dr. Goggins and I spoke of last time. And I will have to say that that location was just as efficient as going through the Chick-fil-A drive-through. Once you got there, um, you provide your ID, you fill out a little information so they know about your current health status. They keep you driving around, they ask you as the first shot, second shot. Um, they give you your card. It's extremely efficient. There were appointments, plenty of appointments available on the particular day that uh, we went. So I would encourage you uh, to just get out there and do it. I realized after talking to Dr. Goggins that I really didn't have any excuses because that location is about three minutes from my house. It's easy and accessible online. The folks were available on the phone to, to help you do it. So uh, even as someone who had been hesitant, I went right ahead. I got the Pfizer vaccine. I had a little soreness in my arm, um, but not much. The next day, uh, I was a little sleepy, a small headache, uh, a little sleepy, I laid down for a while, and I, I'm just fine now. So I would encourage all of you who've not been vaccinated to seriously consider doing that because the Georgia Department of Public Health makes it so easy to do. Now, for those of you who believe you need additional information about the vaccine before you take it, there is a resource available to you through the Greater Augusta's Interfaith Coalition. Uh, we are uh, conducting an information session called Educate to Vaccinate. This is a partnership with the Medical College of Georgia. That session will take place on April 15th, that's tomorrow, at the Williams Memorial CME Church that is located 1230 15th Street in Augusta. So uh, if you'd like to RSVP for that, just go 706-707-9500. That's our main number. And we'll have experts from med the medical college to talk about the vaccine, um, the efficacy, the risk, et cetera, et cetera, so that you can feel educated before you make a decision for yourself. Good afternoon, Local Matters family. Uh, today, my guest is Bratton Riley. He is the Chief Executive Officer of CityBot. 
Uh, CityBot is a technology firm that serves local governments. And I thought it'd be interesting today as sort of a change of pace to bring in someone uh, who provides services to local government and who works to enhance the quality of services that uh, local government provides. Uh, how are you doing today, Bratton? Janice, I'm doing great. It's uh, springtime in the South, and I think we all need a little boost uh, post-winter and all the stuff that we've been through over the last 12 months. So I'm feeling good, and I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to hang out with you today. Thanks for hanging out with me and my listeners. What I always say is, if you appear on Local Matters once, you become part of the family. So welcome to our family. I appreciate that very much. Uh, before we start discussing what CityBot is, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Just how is it that you became CEO of a technology company? Thank you. Yes, I'm here in Charleston, South Carolina, just a short ride from Augusta. And I, I grew up here, went off to college, lived abroad, went to grad school, law school and business school and uh, undergrad at Virginia and graduate schools at University of South Carolina and looked at the legal profession. I clerked for the chief justice of the state Supreme Court at that time, a woman named Jean Toll was an amazing uh, historical figure in the state of South Carolina and still alive doing some amazing work. And after that, I, I, I realized that practicing law was not going to be best suited for my personality, which is I'm pretty high energy. I love to be around people and managing the details of the legal practice. I don't think is necessarily what I was created to do, but I learned so much and have so many friends and colleagues uh from that experience and then serve basically in part as in-house counsel and in business development for a maritime company here in charleston operated in the southeast and latin america i did that for about 13 years and then uh, a friend that i had made through doing a community project in charleston with the county parks department some of the great work that they were doing and we were doing with them we developed a friendship and he recruited me into the technology space and the timing was great and i was in my early 40s and he was he is a, a real special person so it's like when someone like that calls and wants to bring you in to make a career shift you listen more closely because of who that person is and i did that and and took the leap of faith it's hard to to do a career switch in your 40s, a completely different career switch. Uh, and it's been very humbling, Janice. Um, some of my tax returns over the last few years uh, have been very humbling. Um, but it's also an adventure that I'm so grateful to have made the decision to begin because it's been a great adventure and it, it connects with some of the passions that I have that you also have that we share together uh, that we can explore together here today. All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, as I indicated earlier, I have a lot of listeners who are younger people, college students, and sometimes you think if you major in one thing, you're stuck there for the rest of your life. 
Uh, and as it turns out, you're not. There are always other options open if you choose to, to grab the reins and, and go do that. Um, as I did some research on CityBot, uh, one of the things that caught my attention was that even though you're a technology company, and we'll talk some in further detail later about how those technologies connect to the, the public. But before we get there, the step ahead is how you see your technology as a tool for building trust between the public and the local government organization. Um, that is near and dear to me because because as I spent the bulk of my life working in local government, the thing that was most significant, most important to me at the end of the day is you are forcibly collecting money, hard-earned money from your citizenry in the form of various types of taxes and fees. And if that trusting relationship is not there, that's always going to be a difficult exchange. So how do you see it that your technologies help uh, build that trust between the public and local government? I appreciate how you set it up, Janice. I think, number one, a little bit of my life story. So my father's a gentleman named Joe Riley. He was the mayor of Charleston, South Carolina for 40 years. I was literally two when he was elected. And they have a strong mayor form of government in Charleston. So he was both the you know, the mayor and the CEO, the city manager of the city and trust. So first of all, I understand what trust means because I've seen a transformative leader build those relationships one resident at a time over a, a, an amazing career. And so first of all, I understand what it means to trust your local government. And part of what that trust is driven by is as a resident, you know, you want them to, um, to understand and really, really fervently believe that my local government really cares about me is going to fight for me and they're going to do everything they can. They're going to make mistakes, but I know they're doing it because they have the best interest of us at heart. And that is something that is earned. And, you know, we live in this world now where, you know, there's so much distrust with federal government and they have earned that, uh, every bit of that distrust, the federal government's earned it. And you go down to state and, you know, we, we trust them more than the federal government. That's what the data says. And then with local government, we trust them more because we can reach out and touch them. We know where our city council people are. We know they live in our neighborhoods and we can reach out and touch them, but we are getting more cynical over time. And so one of the things that we do with our technology, Janice, is we want to open City Hall. We want to virtualize the connectivity of residents to their government so that residents can get what they need faster and easier, and it's more accessible to all residents and government can respond more efficiently. And so what our technology does is it enables residents to text message directly to their local government or go to their website and have a 
interactive web chat like we can with a lot of our vendors or companies we deal with and do that 24 seven and get uh, their needs met. Um, and as you know, there's a lot of talk, a very good talk, Janice, in the world, in our world about the digital divide. And the digital divide refers to the have nots not having digital access um, as compared to the haves. And that conversation lends itself to talking about access through broadband and getting internet in the home. What I like to talk about with digital divide is unequal access to our governmental institutions that in the deep South, I will say, you know, a lot of these institutions were grounded in institutional racism. And that means to me that a lot of these governments were not actually set up to support African-American folks. That's my personal belief. But, you know, that's changed, but we still have uh, uh, unequal access to our governmental institutions. And so what we want to do is, so me, I'm the mayor's, I was the mayor's kid. So when I called local government, guess what? They call me back pretty fast because of what my last name is. Mm -hmm. A very privileged to, for that to be the case. And what we try to do with our technology is we want every single resident to have the same privilege that I did. That when I reach out to local government, it will respond directly back to me. And when the residents see that reliable interaction and that they can reach out and touch their government easier and they can realize, yes, government is actually there for me, that's how you build the trust. So again, just it starts with, first of all, an understanding of what trust means, and then really look at how we can make connectivity more simpler uh, and more connected and more accessible to the residents so we can actually use technology to build trust. That and that in and of itself, well said in terms of placing that in a nutshell. So let's actualize this a little bit. Um, you talked about the texting to your government, basically you got to complain about a pothole or your garbage didn't get picked up that day, or you're not sure when the recycling truck's coming around to pick up your recycling bin. Um, what would the citizen do if that local government has purchased this technology? What does that mean for that citizen who has one of those types of routine problems that I just described? Yeah, thank you. So what they would do is they would just send a text to the number just saying, you know, I'd like to report a pothole or my trash wasn't picked up or my dog is lost uh, or my streets flooded, uh, whatever it might be. And they're going to get an instantaneous response that will take them into a conversation around that issue, whether it's a pothole. Let's get it reported. Let's get an address. Um, you know, let's get your address around Miss Trash Pickup uh, or maybe you have a broken trash can etc or your dog is lost a lot of local governments provide animal services which is a very very important service to the public and and so we want to get those pets found or and so the resident will just go into an interactive conversation they can do this through text messaging they can do this through showing up at the local government website and have the same experience and get that service request submitted and they'll get a response saying, thank you, it's been submitted. And then when it gets 
resolved, they will get a text message back, Janice, and says, thank you so much, Mrs. Jones, the pothole at 10 Main Street's been fixed. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. So, And that's another opportunity of trust is when government does what the resident asks it to do, lets the resident know and says, thank you. Now, this is simple, and it sounds simple, but what we are, we're on an arc with government in general around, as we talk about trust government, much of government was built around the actual government departments being the customer. Uh, and the government department saying, well, we need this information to successfully do our job. And it was a very inner, inward thinking approach to providing customer service to residents. And what we're trying to do and what you read more about in the space is governments taking a second look and being like, you know what? It's not about what the department necessarily needs first. Let's think about it from walking through the journey of the resident and thinking about what their experience is and engaging with us. And then let's let that drive some of the decisions that we make internally to support the resident having a good experience and in interacting with us. This is what companies spend a lot of money trying to figure out. And government's starting to change a little bit and starting to think about that more authentically. And so our, our product as a chat product through different communication channels is an example of one of those systems. It's like, hey, it's self-service. I can interact with my local government. I don't necessarily have to talk to anyone. I can do it on my own time and I can communicate what I need to communicate. Because another thing that we do with our system, Janice, is we want to answer the questions that the residents have. And that's actually a majority of the communications that come into local government. Residents are looking for information right now. It's about, well, can I get the vaccine? Where can I get the vaccine? You know, and they ask their local government, even though the local government might not be responsible for that, because they ask their local government because they're more likely to trust the response they get from local government, again, because they can reach out and touch these people. And so we want to make sure we're there when they ask the question. But like a few weeks ago in Texas, they had a, a, a terrible winter storm, as we all saw, and it really shut the state down from being able to drink water and to have power in your home. And so we have a, a you know good amount of Texas customers, and it's like, well, how can we show up as a company for our customers when they really need us in the moment? And Fort Worth reached out to us, Janice, and said, can y'all help us let the residents know about the water distribution locations that we're setting up in the city so that we can get drinking water to our residents? And when something like that happens, Janice, we stop. We stop our work and we say, Fort, we got to go help Fort Worth out. There's nothing more important than we can be doing than helping the residents of Fort Worth get drinking water. And so that's another privilege that we have to help our customers out so that they can build those relationships of trust because we show up for them in those moments when they really need us. And that's very important. And because I understand and we understand the interoperations of local government care about it so much, there's a consultative component really to what we do to support our customers. And I think that's an important 
aspect of the work that we do. You know, as you were describing the service, what the phrase that kept going through my head is you are eliminating the black hole. Because what you will so often hear people say, well, I called them, it's been two days, I haven't heard from anybody, seems like my call or my email went into a black hole. So you're finding through your technology, you found a way to eliminate the black hole. And in so doing, that does definitely create um, the impression that, hey, they heard me, they're listening to me, and they're going to do something in relationship to my concern. That's 100% correct. I call it the vortex. Same thing. It's like in, in a lot of times what happens is something will come into local government and it'll be an email. And you know what happens with emails when they come into an organization, they start moving around with forwards and reply alls and you don't you can't track them. You don't know if they got to where they needed to go and if the issue was resolved. You got to go through and look through all these emails and see, well, where did that go and who was responsible for what? And then you can't track from a performance perspective which governments are getting more into now is like, how are we performing? How are we operationalizing what we do so that we can actually track the return on investment that we make in technology and people? Because if we can start tracking that, that means that we can take a better look at how we're spending our money. And if we can take a better look at how we're spending our money, then we might create an organization that operates more effectively to serve our residents better. And so emails, everything gets lost. And so what happens in our system and there are other systems that we integrate into Janice, like for example, Augusta, first of all, has just brought in a great new city manager. They've had a great mayor. And then they also have a great 311 director, Kelly Walker. And they have the this great you know technology infrastructure in place already. So all we would do is plug in to the systems that they already have in place and just present these two new channels that bring the data into the systems they're already using so that we can serve more people and track more of the performance side of how things are how things are performing and then we run data analytics and all the communications that come into local government not from like a big big brother perspective to figure out who's saying what but more well let's like take a look at what the residents are saying so that we can respond faster to what they might be needing in the moment. And so that all works together to really help government step up their game uh, and how they serve their residents. And we avoid the black holes. <laughs> you avoid the black hole, because on the other end, I mean, that's what the resident sees and gets frustrated about. And as you talk about this, um, it just, speaks to how much technology has transformed local government. I mean, it's transformed everything else in life. I mean, we everybody's running around with the computer in their hand, basically a, a phone has become a computer, handheld computer. So that aspect of life has changed, which means that also local government technologies and the technologies that help local governments provide services have evolved as well. Um, as we prepare to close out, um, are there any other issues that you would like to uh, bring up? Any other closing comments that you'd like to make before we get ready to close this segment of Local Matters? 
Well, I just think the the issue of equality of access is very important. And, you know, one of the great things about text messaging, Janice, is 97% of adults in the U.S. now text. And so as we look at how do we sort of break down the barriers of connectivity so that residents that might live in the public housing or lower income neighborhoods have the same right of access to government uh, that might not have internet in their homes. And that, that there's a lot of people that, 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 that have that experience. And so I think just in closing, I just, I can't emphasize enough the importance of how we as a society and how governments can really help this out, but just opening up the communication channels that people are using every day to make communication easier. And then, you know, tools like ours plug into those uh, democratic communication channels to help get, get stuff done. And, um, and so we just, we're excited on this adventure. It's, it's not easy, um, but it's also very rewarding. You know, I, as I tell people that might be looking to work for us, I get to tell them that 99% of the people that you're going to talk to that work in local government are really good people. And they've chosen the job to work there because they want to serve people. And so it's a real pr privilege for us to try to open the doors into government for all people and help these wonderful people that work in local government do their jobs better and serve more people. So it's a lot of fun. It's a great adventure. And, and just thank you, Janice, so much for, uh, you know, enabling us to have this conversation today. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you for being a guest of our program. Thank you. Please join Local Matters next week. My guest will be Mrs. Lynn Bailey. She is the Director of Voter Registration and Elections for Richmond County. And she is going to be with us to tell us all about the changes that were made at the state level. I know there's been a lot of conversation about it, but she'll break it down for us in a way that we can understand so we know exactly what those changes have been. As always, if you miss a show, uh, please go to my website. That is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com or you just Google Janice Allen Jackson Associates. It'll come up. You get to my website. You go to the Local Matters tab and all of the great shows that we have done for your benefit are listed there. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.